Welcome to the For the Church podcast. Another blah, 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 blah. <laughs> it's a gospel-centered wow. resource. You know the drill. What if this is someone's first episode? Well, oh, maybe it will. I, well, I didn't think about that. Exactly. Okay. It's another gospel, great gospel-centered resource for Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. <laughs> So if this is their first episode. They're really They're disappointed gone. right yeah. out of the gate. <laughs> they are not coming back. <laughs> I'm also wondering, like, uh, imagine. So you know who doesn't listen to this podcast? Ooh. Our provost, Jason Ducing. He doesn't. He doesn't. I found this out because he asked a question about something that we answered yeah. very explicitly and clearly on an episode recently. Wow. And I said, I, now I know who doesn't listen to this podcast. And he's like, ah, yeah, he got all sheepish about it. <laughs> but imagine, so say he feels convicted and is like, ah, oh, I should probably listen. And he pulls it up and it's and me going, blah, one. blah, blah. <laughs> be like, we paid these guys. <laughs> <laughs> well, not for the pocket. I mean, like, we don't have any, any sponsorship dollars or That's anything. That's true. That's true. We're going to get on that. My name is Jared Wilson. I'm an assistant professor of pastoral ministry and author in residence at Midwestern Seminary. And I'm here as always with my colleague and friend. Ronnie Kurtz, Assistant Professor of Christian Studies, Managing Editor of For the Church, Assistant Director of Marketing, kicker for the Denver Broncos, <laughs> at least for this season, and I don't know, probably uh, a bunch of million other things. That's yada, right. Yada, yeah. yada, yada, yada. <laughs> uh, how you doing, brother? It's been I'm a good. little while. It has been. It's been way too long. Yeah. we. I mean, we, there's, we've, we've seen each other, Yeah, but we just haven't recorded in a long time. That's, That's true. sort of the the downside of, of, of recording batches of episodes. Mm-hmm. We don't do, you know, we should... You know, if if we could fit into our weekly schedule, we would. Yeah. But then we just, we don't catch up. Yep. On life. Yeah. Yeah. How you been doing? Your kid's probably like 12 years old now. <laughs> yeah, close. Yeah. She's one. Okay. Well, <laughs> yeah. So one. Yeah. She had a birthday this week. She's one. Uh, it's already flying by. People warned me that would happen. Oh. Um, however, I am yeah. ready for her to hit the stage of being able to talk to me. Yeah. So my wife is really mourning. Like one years old. She's like, I can't believe she's one. I'm so yeah. sad. And I'm sure I'm I'm sad too, sure, but I really want to be able to talk to her. Yes. So I remember that. So that brings back memories of uh, imagining what my kid's voice was going to sound like. So like you know, I have the baby. Yeah. You know, I have you know, baby Macy or baby Grace, and like oh, when they start talking, I'll know what they sound like. <laughs> then of course their voice changes. Yeah. And and then I just long for those itty bitty baby voices. Mm. Yeah, baby man, little kid, especially little girl, little girl voices, oh, yeah. and and little boy voices. But yeah, the those little you know when they mispronounce things and have like you know put W's instead of L's and oh man, it's the best. Yeah, she's uh, saying Dada for like everything. Like, oh, everything's awesome. Dada, and yeah. I, it just melts my heart, man. That's I, so I, good. I love it. That's so good, and you'll remember that stuff forever too. The way they pronounce certain words, and yeah. then you'll say it. So every now and then we call the remote the marote. That's what Macy <laughs> called it when she was, you know, two or three years old. Where's the marote? That's so amazing. Now I'll, just, I'll turn to my wife and be like, you got the marote? <laughs> <laughs> but on the opposite side of the yeah. table, you're an empty nester now, right? I know. So that's the big thing that's happened since we last recorded. We dropped our daughter, Grace, our youngest, off to college in Pennsylvania. And that was a whole adventure. We took uh, a whole week to kind of travel up there and get her settled. She moved into an apartment. Um, up there and we have an empty nest but it's not so empty because my wife is like oh it's becky she's high functioning extrovert yeah and hospitality queen so like people ask like how's the empty nest it's like hey, i really haven't been that empty <laughs> like we've i'll had, be over there myself in just a few weeks <laughs> exactly we have people there's people coming over tonight we have people in the house like three four times a week yeah. so 
I was like, I don't know how the empty nest is because it ain't so <laughs> I'll empty. Let you know. She's she's feeling the, the the sadness. I should say to her, like you're you're avoiding your own sadness. Oh, you know, wow, <laughs> that's a real negative way to spin what she's doing there, Jared. <laughs> no, we're excited and we're actually getting ready to travel. So um, day after tomorrow, uh, I'll be traveling to Wichita to speak, and the next week I'll be going to Sioux Falls to speak. And because of our girls being out of the home. Becky can go with me. So oh, yeah. it's going to be a great season. Actually, it's good, you know, um, we're gearing up for a really busy travel season. And she's going to get to go with me on on every trip, I think, except for one trip. So That's cool. Yeah, I'm, I'm pumped to be able to have my wife with me. That's awesome. So, it's good because we're in love. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was trying to angle. <laughs> Where's the on-ramp? <laughs> I, when you love somebody. Hey, keep it going. <laughs> Oh, man. My dad called me actually this week and uh-huh. just said, I got to tell you, I actually appreciate Jared's ability to transition poorly. <laughs> I mean, it's like a hard right turn into a brick wall. Yeah, that's right. Like, I love it. Hey, let's go this direction. <laughs> but, you know, I'm doing my best, man. I, I love it. I, didn't, I love it. We don't, we don't plan and for these things. speaking of love. Speaking of love. You yeah. have a new book. I do have a new book. It's yeah. out this week. It's called Love Me Anyway about how God fills our our longing with his perfect love. Yeah. So it's about the love of God, how the love of God changes us. And it really comes from a place of um of feeling unloved at times and mm. kind of my own personal experience, but really um so it's not a book about romance so to speak, but I you know, I do have, you know, uh, stories of of romance and but it's it's not like a marriage book or it's not yeah. about romantic relationships, you know, per se. It's about how the human need and the human longing is 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 for love deep down, which is yeah. really a way of saying it's for God yep. deep down, and about how God is love and 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 shapes our own love for others. I love it. Yeah, love yeah, it. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> uh, there's gonna be a you lot. You read of, this book? Did I've you? read it. I have okay. finished it. Yep. That's awesome. Yeah. So you sent it to me. I wasn't planning on reading the whole thing. Okay. Um, but it was so good. <laughs> but it just drew me. It really. There was. <laughs> we'll, we'll talk about some of the reasons it's a okay. fun book. Okay. But I did. I finished it. So I've read uh, every page of it. All righty. I have a few questions that I want to ask you about this book. All right. I... You kind of got into the first one, but I do want to hear just some more of the background. Like, how does how does this idea manifest in to become a book? Yeah. Because uh, I want to talk about the titles here in a second because yeah. those are so fun. But just you know. I think you saw. I think I saw you on Twitter say something like, "This was you taking your heart out and smushing it around in a few pages." So I want to hear how yeah. does this story come? How does this book come to be? Well, so it's it's kind of a, a kissing cousin to the imperfect disciple. <laughs> <laughs> no, for real, it's it's talk about it's, love. <laughs> it's yeah, it's, it's related to the imperfect disciple. So anyone familiar with that book? If you enjoyed the style in mm-hmm. particular, so the subject matter for sure, but just the the. You know the way I wrote that book is a little different than some of the other um, books I've written. It's a little more personal, or really a lot more personal, um, more creative nonfiction. So very autobiographical, and and but also more sort of reflective kind of thing, and and a lot of personal stories in that. So this book is is very much the same way. Where I I you know if you liked Imperfect Disciple, you should like the approach of this book. But the the premise began was really just, I mean, it's a lifelong, as I, as I you know, express in the book, a lifelong obsession with love and mm. with the concept of love. Um, certainly romantic love, yes, but also just feeling, um, having a distinct feeling despite all circumstances of being unloved or wondering if I could ever be loved. So if, if anyone who's listening has ever wrestled with that, mm. um, where you know intellectually there are people who love you. So it's not like you're single and you're longing for a mate or something like that. 
but maybe you're married or maybe you live at home with loving parents, but you still struggle for whatever reason to feel loved. You think, how could someone love me? You're so overcome with a sense of your own inadequacy or, or, or sin or whatever it is, anxiety or depression, um, two things that I have you know, you know, struggled with myself, um, that you just, you just feel unloved and, and think, um, yeah, they love me because they have to. Or they love me, but they don't like me, you know, or something like that. Um, that is a, a, a feeling and experience that has really plagued me since childhood. Yeah. It's, it's just been in me forever. And so, of course, I bring that into any, any you know, contemplation of my relationships, romantic or otherwise. And it, it just sort of messes with my brain and my heart and all those things. So that was kind of what drove it. A few mm. years ago, I decided I was going to um, gonna do a, a theological study. I was going to devote um, my entire year's reading to books on love, and so I created this whole reading list. And now that and and that year that plan did not pan out, but eventually I did, as one of um, uh, a directed study in my doctoral st- um, studies. I, I I read a a big portion of that reading list and wrote the genesis of what became this book. Oh wow! As as part of that, um, sort of a big you know you know theological kind of um, exploration of love reflecting on on those books. And so a lot of those books that I read in that study actually show up in here. So mm-hmm. Kierkegaard, yep. Yep. Cry, uh, Chrysostom, uh, you know, others, um, you know, show up in here. Of course, C.S. Lewis and, and you know, um, The Four Loves and things like that. But re- yes, yeah, so that's where it came from, is not just the theological idea of God's love and, and God as love, but this just deep gnawing sense of like, I'm a mess. I'm a broken person. I'm a sinner. I'm a wretch. How, you know, how could God love me? Much less mm-hmm. how could how could my wife love me? Yeah. How could my friends love me? That sort of thing. That's kind of where it came from. Yeah. I'm interested to hear who for for folks who are listening to this. I think if pastors are listening to this, hearing you say that, I bet you they they're thinking something like, "Oh, that that totally makes sense because at least in my own church, I I was shocked cuz I have similar uh, insecurities, maybe not the right word, but similar feelings about myself just yeah. in terms of lovability being lacking. And I remember being a pastor, I was exposed to just how many of my members feel the exact same way. Yeah, There is so much thought of I am unlovable, it, at least at my church. Yeah, And maybe if you're a member listening to this, not a pastor, maybe you're just hearing, hey, I'm not alone. You know, Jared's with me. Ronnie is with me in this gnawing feeling. So I'm, I hate for you that you have felt that for so long. I love for us that you have worked it out in a book. Yeah. <laughs> so thank you. Uh, I want to talk about the titles because it's fun. <laughs> so after talking to you about this book, uh, for those who haven't seen yet, if you turn to the table of contents, you'll be greeted by 11 or 12 love songs, the title of love songs. <laughs> but if you thought that was creative, it's not just the titles <laughs> of the chapters. And this blew my mind when I read it. Every single subtitle is also the title of a love song. So I told my wife that you did this, and she was like, how did that guy even think of, it's got to be a hundred or more love song <laughs> yeah, titles. Probably. We did a little game like, okay, let's, you and I just go back and forth as fast as we can. Just the first title that has the word love in it, just say it. And we we did like 40. And that oh, was, wow, okay. That was like after thinking about it pretty hard. Yeah. So I just, how did you do this, and why did you do this, and <laughs> talk about it? <laughs> well, I'll answer the why question first. Because it is sort of a, a theme of the book or a conceit of the book, uh, the love song idea. And so 
I, I trace this back to the first expre- the first human expression recorded in the scriptures, Genesis chapter two, is Adam looking at Eve and and you know, basically singing. I mean it's you know it's expressing in in Hebrew poetry, but saying at last, this is yeah. bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. Um so the first recorded human words is a love song, basically. Him him, you know, expressing the love um that God has given and 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 completing him. You know, it's not good that he's alone, so he creates you know, God creates woman, but Adam looking at Eve and erupting a love song. And I think this explains why, like, like love songs are the most common song, the yeah. most common subject in, in you know, musical history is love, all kinds of love, but, pri- but primarily romantic love, love for, uh, of men for women and women for men, et cetera. And so that's where the, the idea began is the love song as a theme. Mm-hmm. So the whole book isn't about romance, but the love song is just a common sort of theme. And that got me thinking, okay, so I want to title my chapters. In fact, the name of the book, actually, so Love Me Anyway, I don't think it's a song, but my working title for the book was the Beatles song, Love Is All You Need. So that's what I wanted to call the book, and, <laughs> and, and Baker opted uh, differently. But I kept the conceit, so every chapter title is a love song. Every subhead is, is not just a love song, but a song with love in the title. That's right, yeah. And that's where that idea came from, is the Genesis chapter 2 love song idea. And so what I did was... Be, you know, because I could think of a bunch as well, but I went online and just, I mean, Google is 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 our friend in that regard. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's an omnipresent overlord, you know, controlling our lives, but it's also can be a really useful. of love songs. <laughs> <laughs> so I just, I just Googled songs with love in the title and he created this huge master list. And I was, as I was writing sections of the book and I would think, okay, the subject of this section is, you know, friendship or, yeah. you know, how love forgives or something like that. And then I would go look at all my master list and pick out a title that matched <laughs> that idea. So some of them maybe a little bit of a stretch, yeah, but yeah, a lot yeah. of times, oh, yeah. you know, a lot of times I, I tried to match you did. the yep. song title with the, that thing, you know. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's, that's, how it, that's how it works. And then you can judge how old you are as you're reading it of like, yeah, what love song do I think of? You know, when I right. think of the word love, because for me, this is embarrassing. Okay. Jared. The first song that I thought of in our Florida game where I'm just doing back and forth with my wife. Yeah. The first song, I can't even think of the artist, but it's, I believe in a thing called love. Yes. I, <laughs> that's the, it's by the darkness. Yes. I believe darkness. in a thing called love. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, what's hilarious about that is, so uh, Baker had me put together a playlist. They wanted me to to curate like a Spotify playlist of love songs that would kind of be as part of the promotional stuff for the book. And I wanted to use that song, but I started looking through the lyrics, and it's all about like touching and squeezing. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not it's not like explicit. There's no profanity, yeah. but I just thought ah, yeah. I probably can't use this one. <laughs> because. But it's still a fun kind of you know, like metal. It's very you know, fun. love song. Yeah, yeah. So. I was a little embarrassed. That's the first one I thought of, but. <laughs> Hey, with the love song titles, you actually have a quote. I found it both. You use it twice, at least that I saw, in the introduction and the first chapter. And I think it's a really important line. And I want to hear you, because in my mind, it was the justification, not that you needed one, to use the love song motif throughout the book. But you wrote this. You wrote, every love song is a gleam of beauty falling on a jungle of imbecility. Yeah. I think that's a really good line. And so I'd love to hear you kind of flesh that out a little bit more. Yeah, well, it comes from C.S. Lewis. Oh, are you serious? Yeah, yeah. And I think I quoted him. I hope I didn't plagiarize C.S. Lewis <laughs> in the thing. In breaking pr- news. <laughs> yes, right. Um, and I've no, probably, I, think, right. I think it's the most quote, that is the most quoted line fr- of- From Four Loves? No, no, no. From me. It's not from Four Loves. It's actually from Paralandra. Oh, so, wow. Okay, and okay. I, I think 
of of everything that I've ever quoted, I think I've quoted that line in more books than any really? other thing that I've ever okay. quoted. I think you can find that line in almost all of my books because well, now it, we have an Easter egg. It, well, it drives so much uh, of my thinking about writing and poetry and art and 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 you know so on. So Lewis in Paralandra, which is this, the second book in the Space Trilogy, says that Ransom, who's the main character, discovers what myth is. Mm. That myth is uh, gleams of celestial beauty falling on a jungle of filth and imbecility. That's what it was, yeah. And so the idea is that there is a true myth, as as Lewis you know, says elsewhere, the true myth, of course, is, is, is the true story of God and of Christ and of the gospel. But because of the curse, because of the fall of mankind, it's been shattered, yep. that, that perfect reflection, that perfect image. It's been shattered, and now there's just shards of the truth mm-hmm. scattered about. So Christianity is where we begin to see those images, you know, put back together. But, you know, he said that mythology or the ancient myths, which is why he loved them so much, they're not historically true, of course, or factually true, but they are gleams of truth. They're the little shards of yep. the truth that would lead us to the greater and realer truth. And Lewis explored that in a million different ways yeah, in, yeah. in all of his different books, of course, um, and and has some essays about it in God in the Dock. So um, myth became fact. He has an essay where he talks about this concept. So for me, that's like where I see love songs yep. as like that, right? So all different kinds of love songs, whether they're you know edifying or not, they're, they're, it, there's a gleam of truth. There's something about romance and romantic relationships, not just you know sex and sexuality, but being in love with someone that even the non-Christian knows puts them in touch with something bigger mm-hmm. and deeper, mm-hmm. which is why we used to have love songs that were not explicitly Christian songs, but where people talked about love in these really ethereal, almost heavenly ways. You know, um, I only have eyes for you. What yeah. happens? The guy singing is like, everything has disappeared. You're the vision of loveliness that that fills my senses. And so I don't even know if I'm on the street or I'm in a park or what have you. I don't know if I'm outside at night. The stars disappear because of you. Why that kind of language? Well, it's, you know, it's romantic language, but it's also very sort of um, reminiscent of, those who see Christ yeah. as as all encompassing and all fulfilling, so it's a it's a you know a, you know a broken reflection. So that's why I would say love songs are kind of yeah. those gleams, little shards. So that of, that of makes sense why I didn't yeah. pick up on the C.S. Lewis part because you're you're appropriating a Lewis quote yes. to talk about love songs in the jungle of imbecility. Yes, yeah, I think that's that's yeah. that's really helpful because in the book I don't want to give too much away. I mean, it's not like a story. It's not like there's a twist or anything. Well, I. There's a away. twist of love. Okay. <laughs> All right. Give I, it away, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, a lot of the love songs, they just become avenues to kind of talk about an aspect of the gospel in a lot of ways yeah. or the love of the Lord to us in the person of Christ. And so it really is showing how this love song is the gleam of beauty that while it falls on the imbecility, yeah. actually there's some beauty behind it. So that was good. I just loved that. And another that, that led me to another question. I actually, and this is not about, we, we talked about this, it's not about my book at all, but I, I wrote a chapter on theology leading to love in my Fruitful Theology book. Mm. And doing that, I know that you've been thinking about love, like you said, a lot, but it just impacted me writing even just a chapter on love. Yeah. And so I can't imagine the kind of impression that writing, re, the, the kind of reading that would, it would take to write a book and then the crafting the prose process how much you've thought about love. So I'm curious as to hear, is there any way that was surprising to you or left a unique impression on you just thinking about love in general? Yeah, I mean, no, nothing that would be uh, you know, utterly unique, but there are times where 
writing this book, and, and, and it was a similar experience in, in writing The Imperfect Disciple, where I was moved by what I was, I mean, you know you're writing something good when, or even preaching, because you write sermons yeah. as well as books now. Um, when you're writing a sermon and there's a jet stream yep. of something, it's even, you know, if you want to call it unction, there's, you know, some sort of, you know, you, you hit a current and and you're being moved. So yes. the other day I, I went for a walk and I went for a walk around Smithville Lake and, and um, you know, it was, you know, the weather was relatively cool and, and I was planning because I preached at, you know, my church at um, Liberty Baptist this past Sunday. So in my head, I was still kind of composing, which is kind of what I do with anything, books and, and sermons as well. Before I sit down to kind of like, you know, you, you know, manuscript it out, I'm just mulling thoughts in my head. And so there was an like exposition that was kind of coming as I was walking. So I'm thinking about the text that I'm going to preach and all these sorts of things. And, um, and I'm preaching in my head. And my eyes started welling up. Mm. I was making myself cry. <laughs> I love by it. By preaching, just in my brain, I wasn't even speaking out loud, yeah. but in my head, I was preaching, this is how I would, you mm-hmm. know, draw this out. And, and it just brought tears to my eyes to think about what Christ, so I was preaching from Mark chapter 14 and, and, and the betrayal scene and, and all sorts of things. But I was just thinking about, man, you know, Christ withstood all of that mm-hmm. for me. And so how do I impress upon others that he took our shame and all these sorts of things? Well, just sort of exploring that idea and expressing it moved me. Well, there are parts of this book because the sense of, you know, unloveliness and could I ever be loved is such a, you know, prevailing, you know, uh, feeling for me and such a, you know, uh, you know, persistent feeling for me. There were times where I'm, I'm just staring at the idea of, of God's perfect love um, and the perfect love that, the, the, that God has within himself, yeah. mm. right, that the Godhead enjoys. Yep. God is love. Mm-hmm. Well, how is that possible? Because love needs an object. Well, the triune, you know, the Trinity explains that. That's how God can be loved, because the Father loves the Son, and the Son loves the Father, and the Father loves the Spirit, and so on and so forth. Well, that is now, in a sense, opened up or overflowing or extended or granting. You know, like you know, Peter says, it's it's by His you know promises that we become partakers of the divine nature. Mm-hmm. I'm welcomed into that, and there are times just staring at that concept. When I compare my wretchedness with that, that glory of that, that, um, yeah, I can't help but be mm. moved. So there are times Man, where good. I was writing it where I just felt like either this is really good or I'm just really emotional right now. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe both. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> or maybe both. I yeah. mean, the concept of being <clears throat> swallowed into triune love, that should move yes. you. <laughs> well, you know, uh, uh, Jonathan Edwards, you know, talked about that um, in his conversion, right, that he, he wanted to be, what did he say, wrapped up to heaven and swallowed, as it were, in him forever. Yep. That's kind of the the sense, the exaltational sense that I'm writing for, and I know I'm getting close if I am, in some sense, experiencing that yeah, myself as I'm right. writing. And that certainly happened in writing this Man, book. Man, I yeah. love to hear that. Yeah. I love to hear that. One of the questions I had, too, was you, you alluded to it earlier, but just about the chapter. Uh, since it's not a love song, it's it's kind of a unique title. Yeah. Um, that, that I don't know why I said chapter. Okay. So the, the title of the book oh, is... Oh, title of the book, Love yeah, Me Anyway. Yeah, Love Me Anyway is not a love song. So it's, it right. breaks from the chapter Yeah, it's, it's in a love song, though. Oh, oh, that's right. That's yes. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> I forgot. Is it the, is it the Beatles? Is that? N- well, no, it's uh, the Darius Rucker Darius Rucker, because it's the, it's the second to last chapter yes. where you talk about it. And I wanted to bring out the point you were making. Okay. Not about being old and starting to like country music. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> that was a fun enough point in itself. But actually, why you titled the book that particular title uh, has some power. 
And so I'd love for you to talk about why you chose that for the title. Yeah, well, so that came, I preached a sermon from 1 John chapter 1 on walking in the light <clears throat> about um, that originally titled Hope for Those Who Hide. And I, my opening illustration was from this Darius Rucker country song, <laughs> which is called If I Told You. I just had to look it up in, yeah, the, in, yeah, yeah. in, in the notes. I thought it was called Love Me Anyway. It's called If I Told You. Um, but it has that line in it. And basically the song says, um, it, 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 it surrounds the idea, if, if you could see the brokenness in me, if you could see who I am when no one is looking, when there's no one around to see, if you could really see me, would you look the other way? because you love me anyway. In other words, to be truly known and at the same time truly loved. Yep. I thought for a dumb country song, and it's really not that dumb, you know, for a country song, um, this taps into, I think, the greatest human aspiration. That's Deep exactly down, right. what we all want is that somebody would not just love us, that would totally know us and still love us. Yep. In other words, that they would love us, not just love us, but love us anyway. Mm -hmm. I know that about you. And you know what? I love you anyway. That's what we all want to hear. And it's so difficult to find. You know, we find that, you know, um, in spouses and others and sometimes our parents and those sorts of things. But we still kind of, um, you know, human love is imperfect. It's, you know, it, it, it's there are even, you know, small strings, you know, here and there. But we get the love me anyway from God, from God himself. Yeah. The only perfect person, the most holy person, the perfectly holy one, three times holy, who sees everything, who knows everything about us, and still says, I love you. Mm. He knows all the stuff, all the rotten stuff you haven't even done yet. The people in our lives don't know that, but he knows that and still says, I love you. So I preached that sermon from, you know, First John as, as an aspect of that, of God's gracious love that he would love us anyway. And that's where the genesis of the book came yep. from, is the gracious love of God, that he would know everything about us, that we could be perfectly known and at the same time perfectly loved. Mm, man, yeah. I love that. I loved, I loved you getting to that and that, that towards the end of the book there. It just stirred my soul. I mean, the whole book stirred my soul, but that, that, that part particularly, for someone who does struggle with, am I lovable? Yeah. Or do I actually have any kind of lovability? I mean, the gospel just speaks a better word, and yeah. you brought that out so well there. Hey, let me end with one final question, and that's just to give you the last word. Is there okay. anything else about the book you think readers should know? Anything you'd want to share on the podcast? Um, where should folks look for it? I know it's Baker, yeah. Amazon, whatever, but um, any last words? Yeah, so I know if you go to Baker, I think for the longest time, uh, for, you know, right now, and I assume during release week as well, their their price for the book is 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 40% uh, 40 off. It's cheaper than Amazon. Oh, wow. So certainly you can get it at Amazon if you're a you know prime person you can get it you know next day or whatever but you can get it cheaper actually at Baker but it's available wherever books are sold. I think the one thing um, the main thing I would want to re uh, remind people is despite the love song conceit and that it's about love and the book is you know the cover has some red and pink on it <laughs> that it's not purely about romance. So if you're a single believer um, yeah. or <clears throat> if you're married and you're thinking well, I don't really need a book about you know, finding someone or romance because I already, you know, I'm already married or whatever. Um, the book talks about romance and love in that sense, but it, that's not what the whole book is about. It's not a marriage book. It's not really a romantic relationships book. Um, it, it, it tracks through 1 Corinthians 13. So even though every, you know, chapter title is a love song, um, every chapter sort of explores a different clause in 1 Corinthians 13 and kind of reorienting our understanding of that classic love text beyond, because it's such, you know, it's the classic wedding text mm -hmm. beyond romance. 
to the perfect fulfillment of love in Christ himself, that he is the perfect fulfillment of love, and how knowing the love of Christ helps us to love others. So I have a whole chapter on friendship. Mm-hmm. I have a whole chapter on forgiveness and different things like that that are extended beyond you know, romantic relationships. So it's really it's, you know, single or married, old, young. Um, I hope that there's something for everybody um, in, in the book in terms of you know, um, illustrations and contextualization and that sort of thing. Um, but I just, you know, I, I wrote it. If you've ever felt a little unloved or a little lonely, maybe this is my love song <laughs> to you. That's a, I love a, it, man. Maybe a good note to end on. Well, you know? hey, thanks for writing it, brother. I uh, believe in a thing called love. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to find that clip of this podcast and just put it on repeat. Put it on repeat. <laughs> well, thanks, Ronnie. I appreciate the, uh, the, the interview. And thank you, listener, for listening to the podcast. As always, if you enjoy what you're hearing. Well, despite my little falsetto uh, <laughs> runs. In, or because of it. Or because of it. Hey, if you're a weirdo <laughs> like that, please give us a good review on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And until next time, may Jesus be big in your church. You've been listening to the For the Church podcast, hosted by Jared Wilson, found online at ftc.co. This resource is brought to you by Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Kansas City, Missouri, where we train leaders for the church.